Happy New Year and a happy new decade, Freedom Church. Like, think about this. We're alive in the 20s. Oh, like, okay. that's great. The roaring 20s, man. I was just thinking about we are in 2020, and uh, it just made me feel old. Like, I, you realize I've been alive in five different decades and two different millennias, and I'm barely in my early 40s. That's crazy. And some of you guys are like, man, we're all old. Like, like think about this. Like, as I was just processing... Uh, 2020, man, if that doesn't make you feel old this way, 2050 is as far away in the future as 1990 is in the past. Like, remember, we used to party like it's 1999. Like, I, I remember just yesterday I got up on Saturdays and I was watching Saved by the Bell on Monday's Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and that was the 90s. Like, the 50s are farther away. Anybody else feeling old like that or what? Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, oh yeah. But here's the thing. We can look at the awesome adventure. Like, I, I hope you guys had an awesome holidays and are ready for a new year and a new decade. But I really love this time of the year. Because there is just something about the turn of the year that just gives you hope for a new beginning and a new season. How many of y'all ready for a new season? That man, This decade is going to be your best decade. This is going to be your best year. But during the start of a new year, uh, people make what's called New Year's resolutions. And there's really two types of people. There's people who make New Year's resolutions, and there's people who hate New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys make New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. You make New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys are the people that just hate New Year's resolutions? Uh, some of you guys that were divided in here. So uh, I came across some memes that give us uh, some, why some people have cynical attitudes about New Year's resolutions. Here's the first meme I came across. Hey, my goal for 2020 is to accomplish the goals of 2019 which I should have done in 2018 because I promised them in 2017 and I planned them in 2016. How many of you guys can say amen to that one? You, can, you relate, you relate. How about this one? This, this one really resonates with me. This year I've resolved to drink less Coke and go to the gym. I made it to the gym, right? Oh. That's one make a low-hanging fruit. I also came across some tweets that people made about the new year, and I wanted to share some with you. This was the first one. First tweet was this, I'm going to quit all my bad habits for the new year. But then I remembered nobody likes a quitter. So uh, <laughs> another person wrote, to kickstart my new year, I took an IQ test, and the results were negative. Somebody said this, my new year's resolution is to help my friends gain 10 pounds so I can look skinnier. So if I invite you out to lunch, now you know why, right? It's well played. I like that one a whole lot. Freedom Church, a, a new year and a new decade is upon us. And if there's something that we should commit our lives to, is that there's a habit that we should implement for this new year and this new decade, I submit to you, this habit is this. Most important habit that will change the trajectory of your life and that will change the trajectory of our church, that will change everything, is this attitude in this habit called prayer. If you were to go back, think about this, 2,000 years ago, and if you could walk in the times that Jesus walked in, and you could learn anything from Jesus, and you could just learn one thing from Jesus, just one, not a whole bunch, but if you could have Jesus, Jesus teach me one thing, what would you want to learn from him? The disciples who saw him, lived with him, walked with him, they had that opportunity. And you know what they wanted to learn from Jesus? The one thing that they asked it's recorded in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. They said this. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
They didn't say, Lord, teach me to preach a better sermon or Lord, teach me to be a better teacher or teach me to be a better leader. They didn't even say, Lord, teach me to do miracles. They didn't even say, teach me to make money. Remember that time, Lord, you went out there, you told them to cast the, cast the, the, the nets right there. They came up and the, there was gold out of the fish's mouth. That would be awesome. You know, I would assume at least one of them would say, Lord, you know that water into wine thing? That's pretty epic, Lord. I would love to do that party trick every time I go to a party. I'd be the man. Teach me that trick. No. Nobody asked him those things. You know what they wanted to know? They, when they saw Jesus, they said, Jesus, teach me to pray. Because they knew that the power that Jesus had, it came from time spent in prayer. See, the more time you spend in prayer, the more power of God's presence in your life. A little bit of, a lot of prayer, a lot of power. Little bit of prayer, little bit of power. No prayer, no power, no God's spirit moving through your life. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he spent more time praying than he did anything else. Before Jesus launched his ministry, he went 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness to fast and to pray. Throughout his ministry, he prayed. He did nothing without prayer. Before he taught a lesson or taught the word of God, he prayed. Before every miracle, he prayed. In the middle of the miracle, he prayed. In the last moments when he's with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what he was doing? He was praying. And when Jesus was on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he ascended into heaven, he looked at his disciples and he says, Go into Jerusalem and pray till I send the Holy Spirit. So prayer was paramount. In the life of Jesus, it was something that marked his life. And I submit to you this morning, Freedom Church, that prayer is the most important discipline that you will ever learn. That it will change your life, it will change your family's life, it will change your church's life, it will change the destiny of a city. And if we could be learned to be people of prayer, God could do amazing things through us. And this morning, my prayer is that we begin to be stirred to walk with our God. To know him in an incredible way. Because see, I, I really started understanding the prayer, power of prayer when I was in college. I remember God beginning speaking to me, having incredible moments of prayer. He began to answer big prayers in my life that set the course from the rest of my life. In college, I realized that God was real and wanted to move in my life. It was during that time that my wife Jennifer began to understand the power of prayer as well. Because she met me and all her prayers were answered. But seriously, prayer takes effort. Let me tell you something about prayer. It's really simple, but it's really hard. It's a dichotomy. It's challenging. It's not easy. This is what Paul says about prayer. He says this, labor with me in prayer. He calls it work. Dallas Willard, who's one of the greatest theologians of our time, was a professor at the University of Southern California with the deepest thinkers of Christianity. He said this, powerful quote. It says, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. And if we are going to walk in everything that God has for us, we need to put our faith into action. We need to give effort to our walk with God because over and over in Scripture, is there's one thing that you see is that God honors the effort and the action that we take God, like when we come close to God, he comes close to us. James 4, 8 says this. 
The writer of Hebrews says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The prophet Jeremiah said that God said to call to me and I will answer you and tell you great unsearchable things that you know not of. That over and over in the scripture, the Bible says that when we put effort in our walk with God, that God puts that effort with us and that his eyes are constantly looking through the earth, seeing and looking for somebody who would seek him with all their heart. That God is attracted to people that want to know him. That have a desire for him. That long to be in his presence. And I think a lot of us want to pray. The challenge is we don't know what to pray. If we're honest. Like we think to ourselves, Benito, you're a talker. You talk for a living, but I don't like to talk very much. After five minutes, I have nothing to say. But if you're like me, I have my problems too. I'm ADD. In the middle of prayer, I start thinking, uh, what am I going to have for lunch and dinner? What I have to do next? Uh, Start thinking about the game last night and what I'm going to do next. I'm just going all over the place. Does your mind all constantly go all over the place in prayer? I get ready and I'm going to pray, but then I'm like, tacos, hamburger, uh, email. And I guess it gets distracting, so let me free you. Everybody thinks like that when it comes to prayer. So when it comes to prayer, you need to have a plan. And Jesus, understanding how difficult and challenging prayer was, taught the disciples to pray. And we get to eavesdrop in that conversation because the writers of the Gospels tell us this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 through 13, it tells us some very important principles in prayer. Look at verse 16. It says this, but when you pray, this is what Jesus says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. It's a powerful thing. Sometimes, let me tell you about prayer. Sometimes you're praying. Sometimes you feel like you're wasting time. Sometimes it feels like, man, I should be doing something else. But let me tell you, God rewards those who pray. It's not wasted time, but it is powerful time that changes the course of history. Here's a principle, the first principle that's a prayer. We must take time and find a place to pray. You need to find a time. You need to find a place. You need to find a time to pray. Jesus gives this example throughout the Gospels. Every morning, Jesus got up early, and the Gospel writers tell us he went into a solitary place to pray. Nothing was more important to Jesus in his prayer time. He wasn't too busy healing the sick, feeding the poor, casting out devils, teaching God's word. That wasn't his priority. Prayer was the priority of Jesus, his number one priority. His prayer life wasn't sporadic. It was consistent. And he had a specific time, and he had a specific place to pray. Everything that Jesus did flowed out of prayer. Let me ask you a question this morning, Freedom Church. Do you have a time and a place to pray? If you want to grow in your faith, if you want a God to do something in your life, if you're just tired of walking around the same thing year after year after year, if you say, man, I want a breakthrough, I want to know God, there's only one way to truly walk into the purpose that God has for you, and that way is through prayer. That's why I'm challenging you to join me for the next 21 days of fasting and prayer to start the year. We're going to start the year by making space for God. Outside in the foyer, you will find a list of prayer directives. You can pray for 21 days. Uh, it's, it's in our welcome center. It's right there on a table right there. And it'll sh- join you and how you can join us in the fast. This is what I want you to do. Here's my first challenge to you for the first new year, for the first decade. I want you to take a 10-10 challenge with me for the ne- every day for the next 21 days. 10-10-10 challenge. What's the 10-10-10 challenge? First is this. I want you to start off every day with reading the Bible for 10 minutes. Find some time. Every day, find, make some time, 10 minutes of reading your Bible. 
if I'm you, if I'm starting the year, this is what I would advise you. Hey, maybe book of the Old Testament, book of the New Testament. Maybe start off with, with Luke and then go to Acts and then go to the Old Testament and read Genesis. So read one chapter in Genesis, one chapter of Luke, and just for the next 21 days, let God speak to you. Ten day, and then after 10 minutes of reading the Bible, I want you to pray for 10 minutes. And then after you're done 10 minutes of praying, this is, what you, this is the most powerful thing. This will change you. I want you to go 10 minutes of worshiping and just listening. Say, God, what do you want to speak to me? And if you do that, if you take 10 minutes of reading God's word, 10 minutes of praying and asking God to move in your life, and then 10 minutes of just worshiping and listening, and you give God space, I promise you, I guarantee you, God will show up and he will change your life. He'll change your life. So it's called the 10, 10, 10 challenge. Every day for the next 21 days, start that and it'll probably change your life. and You'll probably do it for the rest of your life. But do that. It's not too complicated. So many times we get overwhelmed. We've got to sit there forever. 10, 10, 10. Try that. Because there's just something that happens when you take it. And not only that, you need to find a place where you can pray. You've got to build an altar. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we can pray going around. We can move all the time. Yes, we're supposed to pray all the time. But Jesus says it's important to find a place where you can be alone with God. There's just something that happens in your mind psychologically when you have a prayer spot. It brings an expectation of your faith to those prayers. Because remember that God met you on that spot in the past and he'll do it again. I have, over the years, I've had several prayer spots. This is my prayer spot right here. And I can tell you, times I've been overwhelmed. Times anxiety has come. Times of struggle. And I remember where God has come down. I remember moments as I knelt right here that God has met me. And I remember, God, if you met me back then, you can meet me once again. I remember when I was working full time trying to get the church started. I did not have a little prayer spot. My little prayer spot was my car. So for, for lunch, I'd go to my car and I'd, I had like a 30-minute break. So I would go down there and I'd pray. I'd eat while I was praying and God would speak to me in my car and God showed up in a car. See, God, you don't have to be in a church. God can meet you in a car. And sometimes at the house, I got my little prayer chair that I sit down there and it it's where me and God meet. But what I'm telling you is you need a time and you need a place and you need a place physically where that can be your altar because what that will do is that will build faith in you because there will be moments you'll be overwhelmed. There will be moments in life you'll be full of anxiety. But if you know that God met you there, you'll know he'll meet you again. Find a time and find a place to pray. That's what Jesus said. And then a time to be uninterrupted by the things of the life. There's so many distractions, social media, your phone, emails. Say, God, I need you. If you have a bunch, if you have little kids, rotate off with your husband. Say, hey, I need my 10, 10, 10. No, you have your 10, 10, 10. You know, switch off. Say, God, I need help. And then after Jesus tells us that we should have a time and a place of prayer, he gets really, really practical. And he teaches us how to pray. And it's in verse 9 that we learn this powerful passage. If you, have your, if you don't have your notes, get some notes because this is a message that will transform your prayer life forever. Because there are moments in my prayer life where I get stuck, where I don't know what I'm going to say. Where, how do you guys have a stagnant prayer life sometimes? And you're like, oh, Lord, I'm saying the same thing every day for the last month. It's not going anywhere. And what I do is I always come back to the Lord's prayer. And it brings breakthrough in my life because it is powerful. Because if Jesus taught it, we should listen to it. Verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Growing up, I would go to my grandma's house, and we grew up in a very ritualistic uh, background. And I remember going to catechism and these different areas. And if you do something bad, okay, go back. All you got to do at night is say, 10 Our Fathers. And we'd go back there, and we'd be saying Our Father over and over and over again. And I remember, I remember saying this prayer all the time. But this prayer Jesus used, it wasn't a prayer to be repeated, but a prayer with principles to be emulated. When you think of this prayer, don't think repetition with magical words. Think organization with guiding words. And in this prayer, it's powerful because Jesus teaches us so much. Jesus, is, Jesus, just in this prayer, introduces us to five different types of prayer. He starts off with adoration. And then he takes us to praise. And then we go to submission. And then we go to petition. And then we go to confession. And there's a prayer at the end of glorification. So these all these different types of prayer just in this one prayer. And we're going to break it down this morning. And we're going to learn to pray from the greatest teacher himself, Jesus. So here's what I want you to learn. First thing we learn. When you start in prayer, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Here's the first thing that we're going to learn is prayer acknowledges that God is my Father. This is adoration. It's acknowledging who God is in your life. Not only is he your father, but he's your father in heaven. Let me ask you this question. If you could describe God in one word, you just had one word to describe God, just one, what would that word be? Think about it. Be king, creator, powerful, mighty. Though God is all those things, according to Jesus The word that he uses to describe God is the word Father. Let me take you deep for a moment. Think about this. God for all eternity has been a father. He hasn't always been a creator because creation is not eternal. He became a creator when he created. Same thing with judge. He hasn't always been a righteous judge because he hasn't always had to judge all the time until he created things. But for all eternity, God has been a father. He has existed eternally as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus uses this word, Father. It's the Aramaic word, Abba. It means Daddy. It's the most intimate form of Father you can know. And Jesus is pointing us to this. It's powerful. Like, he says, when you come to prayer, you got to understand who you're talking to. You're talking to a daddy that loves you. This is revolutionary. He says so many times our prayers don't have any any power to them because we don't understand the power behind the prayer. He says when you start off in prayer, realize he's your daddy. Of all the titles I've ever held, the the one I love being called the most is daddy. Remember when my girls call me dada, dada, and then daddy, like man, now that they're older, they'll call me dad. I don't like dad. Every once in a while when they want something, they'll say, Daddy. And when I hear the word Daddy, my heart still skips a beat. Because I love my girls. They'll do anything for them. And my girls understand my love for them. And you know why they understand? They don't care what time it is. They don't care what's going on. If they're sick, they'll just boom right into the, I'm sick, Mom, Dad. I need money. I'm like, they'll ask me for anything, anytime, any place. They have no regard for anything because they know I love them. They know I care for them. That's the same thing with God. God's your daddy. He loves you. You can approach him during any time. During any, I don't care if it's 3 in the morning and you're sick and you're desperate or you're scared. Daddy, I need you. I can't tell you how many times in the middle of the night. Daddy, I'm scared. Got this. Don't worry. I got this. 
And God's saying, I got this. But this is the challenge. There is nothing in the world that will revolutionize our understanding of God than understanding his father. See, think about this, parents. The way you feel about your children right now is just a small glimpse of how God feels about you. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, said this. If you, quote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes the thought of being God's, makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. See, as a pastor, sadly, one of the major issues, the major issue that I deal with all the time is people with father issues, dad issues. Having a bad experience with your dad is one of the main things that will keep you from God. Sigmund Freud, the famous psychologist, one time said this, nothing destroys someone's faith in God like a bad relationship with their dad. And Freud would know because he had a horrible relationship with his father. Paul Vitz wrote a book called this, God and Small Topics. In his book, he pointed out that most of the great atheists of the past century of the, the day, Freud, Huxley, Voltaire, Hume, all had horrible relationships with their father. And in his book, he concludes this, that someone's view of their father is often the weightiest factor in the developmental development of their faith and here is my prayer for you here's my heart for you i know some of you have had a father that's distant he wasn't there for you he was unreliable he didn't let you down let me tell you the enemy is trying to use that to stop you from truly understanding who your god is but let me tell you your heavenly father is perfect he is trustworthy he is caring he loves you and god wants to revolutionize the way you look at him is because he's a loving father and my prayer for you, and let me just be a pastor here for a moment, is that you get over that because it will stunt your view of God. It will color everything in your walk with God if you do not have the right view of your father. And so every one of us has some type of father issues one way or another. And if this is something that you're dealing with and you see this walk with God, this block with God, that you can't get close to God, it very well might be because you don't have a proper view of who your heavenly father is. My prayer for you is this, that you would say, God, help me to see you as the true Heavenly Father. You're not like my dad. You love me. You care for me. There's some, several books. If you're interested in that, email me. I'll give you some books that I've had people read and walk through that liberates you and seeing God as their father. So first thing you've got to understand, if you're going to have a powerful prayer life, you've got to realize that God is your father. Second thing that prayer does is this. Prayer acknowledges God's character. Look at verse 9. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. I remember first reading that. It sounded like Halloween. Like, why is Halloween in the Bible? Like, like what the heck does the word hallowed mean anyways? Like, right, the word means this, important or valued. To hallow God's name is to honor God. This type of prayer goes from adoration, just calling on the name of God, to praise, declaring the greatness of God. Jesus tells us that prayer starts with, us, with this understanding of who our Father was, and then it gives 
God the honor in our life that he deserves. And I want you to notice the breakdown of the different types of prayer here. He starts off with adoration, and then he goes to praise before we even get to submission, petition, confession, or glorification. Because you cannot really walk with God and have prayer. you got to realize he's a loving father, and then you got to praise, and you got to uh, begin to release all that God is, because this is what praise does. Praise paves the way into God's presence, and it builds faith in your life because you understand who God is, and you understand what God can do, and you're understanding what God wants to do in your life. That's why it's so important to praise God. When we praise, we are to lift up our name of our God. That's why it says, hallowed be your name. Lift up the name of God. And one of the things I love about God is that God is so big and he's so awesome and he's so incredible that there's not one single word that can describe him. For instance, in the Old Testament, God's people had many names. And when Jesus said, hallowed be your name, the Jews had all kinds of thoughts of who God was. One of the names for God was Jehovah Shalom, which means God is my peace. That tells me that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how out of control it is or what doctor's, what doctor's report I have or what bills come my way, Lord, you are my peace, Lord. Even though everything's falling apart, I thank you. You are Jehovah Shalom. So, man, he's my father, and not only does he do that, he gives me peace. Not only is he just Jehovah Shalom, another Old Testament name was Jehovah Shidkanu. That means that God is my righteousness. Righteousness means setting things right with God. And we got to realize because of a bad week, we, sometimes we do things that we shouldn't have done or say things we shouldn't have done or been involved in activities we should have done. We realize that we aren't right with God. When we come to a place, Lord, you're my Father, and I thank you because when I pray, I don't come in my own righteousness, but I stand in your righteousness. Lord, you are Jehovah Shidkanu. You are my righteousness. You have made me right with God. I don't stand here on my own actions. I stand here on what you did on the cross. And all of a sudden you start having church. Revival starts coming in. You don't need anybody to lead you into worship with the presence of God. He said, you're my father. And then you begin to hollow the name of God. Let me tell you, God shows up. And God begins to do awesome things. Another name God had was Jehovah Jireh. That means God is my provider. He'll step in. He wants to meet my needs. What an amazing promise. Another name for God is Jehovah Rafi. That means God is my healer, that he can heal our bodies and not just heal our bodies. He'll heal our emotions. He's a God that heals. Another name for God is Jehovah Nisi. That means God is our banner, that we come under the banner of Christ and we can say, thanks be to God who leads us in victory. We're walking in victory. It's not like us depressed cowboy fans for 25 years. We've been struggling and depressed. Even the Patriots who've been good all this year, they're out of the playoffs, thank the Lord. But you know what? God wins every year, every game, and we don't stand in everybody else. We're rooting and we're winning all the time because he's Jehovah Nisi. He's my banner. I stand under him and I have the victory in Christ. And I could, be, I could share this all day long for hours and all the names of God. I would suggest to you it is a good study to get into all the names of God in the Old Testament. But when you begin to hollow the names of God, God begins to move. And I think many of us think that taking the Lord's name in vain means that saying a cuss word after the name of God in it. But that's not what it means at all. Taking the Lord's name in the vain is this. It's calling God my righteousness and still holding on to sin unconfessed sin it's calling God my peace and trying to hold on to my problems and trying to fix things myself it's calling God Jehovah Jireh my provider and not trusting him with my tithe and my finances that realizing God I say you're my provider but I'm not living like you're my provider because when we hollow God's name 
It gives us a clear picture of who God is and what he wants to do in our life. And prayer says, God, I want your name and who you are to be honored in my life and in my church. That's what prayer is. And God is glorified. Third thing about prayer is this. Prayer seeks God's priorities. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says that when we come to prayer, it's important. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his will for our lives, his purposes. This is an important prayer. It's a prayer of submission. Most people, when they pray, they leave off the why, and their prayers sound more like our kingdom come, our will be done. Our prayers sound more like mandates to God instead of seeking his will. God, get me the job I want. Instead of God, would you want me to take this job? Or do you want me to be? God, give me that house in that new neighborhood rather than Lord. Is this your will? Is this your path? Is this is where you want me to be? Is this the house you have for me? Lord, bless this relationship. It's going awesome. Lord, is this really the person you want me to be with? Prayer of submission is powerful. It's, what, it's where God begins to release his power in your life. See, prayer is not getting what we want. It's getting to the point where we want what God wants. That's what prayer does. Prayer is not necessarily about changing the, the situation. It's about changing us aligning ourselves with God's. Let me share with you three prayers of submission that the Lord has been impressing my heart to pray on over the last several months. The first one is this. I've been praying this, Lord, forgive me for asking you to co-sign my dreams and my plans. Lord, I repent. Lord, show me your plans, and I want to sign up for what you already have. So many times we ask God to co-sign everything that we want. And we think God's our co-signer. No, God, do this, do this, do this. Put your stamp of approval. Let me tell you, there is no power in those prayers. Those prayers are futile and empty. But when we say, God, I'm no longer praying according to your will. I'm, I'm, according to my will, I'm praying according to your will. God's power in all of heaven is released in those prayers. Another prayer I've been praying is this. Lord, help me to be content without being complacent. Ooh, that one's hard, right? Content without complacency. Let me find joy in my relationship with you and what you're leading with me. And help me not to be complacent but not be content. And the Lord's working with me on that one. I want to be content in everything that God has. But I don't want to be complacent with nothing he has for my life. I want to follow him for everything. And if we can get to the place where we're content with who we are in Christ and everything that he has. And we're no longer striving and driven. But yet we aren't complacent because we want everything that God has for Watch out. That's a dangerous person. And the third prayer I've been praying is this. Lord, help me to be led by your spirit and not, by, not driven by my flesh. Because a lot of times I'm looking at the drip. My, some of the drive inside of me that makes me a driven person can come from a sinful thing. Proving myself. Pride. All these different things. And let me tell you, if you're driven, it'll destroy you. I don't want to be driven anymore. I want to be led by the Spirit. I'm tired of striving. How many guys tired of striving? Just striving and striving. I want to stride with the Spirit of God. Lord, when you step, I'll step. When you move, I move. I want to stride into every plan and everything you have for me. And let me tell you, if we can get to the place in prayer where we begin to say, Lord, I want what you want and not what I want. I lift up your name. I know you're my dad. Watch out. Because God. God's about to move. Power begins to be released. God's presence and his purposes are activated in your life, in your city, and in your family. This is why this prayer is so powerful. We got to say, God, this is what I want. Number four, prayer acknowledges my needs to God. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Prayer is very practical. 
Jesus, in the middle of all this prayer, tells us it's okay to ask for stuff that we need. This is called petition. Petition. See, bread was one of the main staples that the Jews ate in the first century. It was needed for their survival. Notice that Jesus doesn't ask for a T-bone steak. He says, give us this day a T-bone. Give us this day a cheesecake. Or give us some candy, but bread. Some of us struggle because we say, I don't know what to say when I pray. I really don't know how to pray. Most people think prayer is hard. I can't tell, how, tell you how many people say, I don't know what to say when I pray. Let me ask you a question. What do you need? When you're not sure what words to say when you pray, ask yourself, what do you need? And then pray about that. Well, I need a car. Okay. God can give you a car. He gave Jennifer and our car, gave us a car in the middle of our church planning journey when we had no money and our cars were breaking down. God gave me a car. He gave you a car. It's a need. You need a job? God can give you a job. I prayed several times, Lord, Lord, I need a job where I can be to church on Sunday and I need to make this amount. Lord, you know what I need. Lord, give you a job. God gives you a job. That's a need. Some of you are like uh, this. Uh, Benito, here's the problem. I don't know if it's a need or a want, right? That's the challenge. Just talk to God. He'll sort that out. My girls, every Christmas, come with a huge list of everything they want for Christmas. Jennifer and I, we, we don't get them everything they want. We get them everything they need and some of the things they want because we love them. And your daddy loves you. He wants to meet your needs. And there is no need too small that God doesn't care about. So when you don't know what to pray, ask yourself, what do you need? What if this morning you wrote down something that you need? And for the next 21 days during our time of fasting and prayer, you ask God to meet that need. I know some of you think, I can't possibly bother God with something so simple. Let me tell you this. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. God cares about your kids' braces. God cares about the tires in your car that need to be replaced. God cares about the need that you have. You have a loving father. Take your needs to him. The Bible says that we have not because we ask not. And Jesus says, ask me and I'll give you daily bread. The only prayer that God doesn't answer are those you don't pray. There's a story about Alexander the Great and one of his generals who approached him after many years of service and asked if he would pay for the wedding of his daughter. Alexander agreed and told him to obtain funds from the treasure. So he went soon thereafter. He came to Alexander and uh, he asked him for some money. And, and the treasure came to Alexander and he, he thought that this general was taking advantage of King Alexander the Great. He was asking for an exorbitant amount of money. Enough to host the largest wedding Greece had ever seen. Alexander thought about it for a moment. And then he waved his hand dismissively and says, Grant him his request in full. The treasurer looked bewildered and befuddled. And Alexander continued, My general pays me two compliments. He believes that I'm rich enough to afford his request. And that I'm generous enough to grant it. And in assuming those two things, he honors me. How big is your God, Freedom Church? Are your prayers as big as God is? I want to challenge you to pray big prayers. Not for you, but for God's plan and God's purposes. I remember in the beginning of 2018, I was praying for the church. I said, Lord, it would be awesome if we can maybe start raising some money to get some church land and a piece of property. I know it's property is going high and all these different things. It would be awesome to have our own building one day. And I remember 
the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, Lord, would you just give us $50,000 just to like start off as a fund to get some property? And I heard the Lord speak to me. That's what he told me. If I've ever heard the Lord speak, it was his time he said, Benito, am I that small? Am I that small? And I was like, wow, I don't know know what that meant. Like, I just literally felt him speak that to me. Literally, we've seen it. God gave us $100,000. He provided $500,000 for us to start that process. God more than added a zero behind that process. Our God is not that small. Our God is big, and he's mighty, and he's incredible. And as we pray prayers, not according to our will, but the plan of God and the purpose of God for his will and for his glory, God answers those prayers. It's prayers that change cities. It's prayers that change families. It's prayers that change the course of history. God is a God who is willing and wanting to answer prayer because God is a God God who moves through prayer. Number five. Prayer seeks God's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This type of prayer is called confession. This is where we begin to ask God to make us like him, to forgive us of our sins. We say, God, expose the areas in my life that don't reflect you. Forgive me of my sins. And as you begin this fast and as you begin to pray, God will show you areas in your life that don't please him that he desires to change. Let me be honest with you, Freedom Church. This is where a lot of people lose their esteem in prayers. Because there's one thing that the psalmist tells us, and over and over in Scripture says that will stop us, that will stop God from answering prayers. You know what that is? Unconfessed, unresolved sin. The psalmist says the man who holds iniquity in his heart doesn't repent. If you're a repentant sinner, he'll hear that. But if you're a believer and you hold iniquity in your heart and you pray, your prayers are dead to the Lord. That's why we need to pray and we need to confess and we need to say, God, I need you. Because when we allow sin, and not only sin, Jesus, unforgiveness in there. And, and this, is what, this is what he says. And he says, man, pray that lead me not into temptation. We've got to realize I'm not that strong, Lord. I confess that I need you. God, I can't stand against the enemy by myself, Lord. Lead me not into temptation. When we confess how weak we are, God shows us how strong he is. See, and one of the ways that you know that you're sick spiritually is this. The same way you know you're sick physically. Because when you're sick, what happens? When you're sick physically, what happens? You lose your appetite. You don't want to eat. You don't just want to sleep. You're just apathetic towards food. The same thing is true spiritually. When we have no desire for God, when we have no desire to worship, when we have no desire to read his word, when we have no desire like we used to for the things of God, it is a sure sign that you are sick spiritually and sin or unconfessed uh, or, or unforgiveness has come in there and there's only one way to get rid of that. And the Bible says there is an antidote and it's called confession and fasting. It's medicine for a sick soul. And it creates an appetite for God again. John Piper said this, that the absence of our fasting is the measure of our contentment with the absence of the presence of Christ in our life. And if Jesus is not in your life, if you don't feel the presence of the Lord, one thing that you need to do is, Lord, you need to fast. Because the Bible says, the, uh, Luke writes, man, when the bridegroom is gone, that's when we pray. When his presence is left, that's when we fast. And there's many times in my life that I don't feel the presence of God like I used to. That's why I love starting a 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because at the end of a year, there's a lot of junk that gets in here. 
Man, I'm a back, my, my sinful nature, I don't know about you, but I'm jacked up. It pulls me out of alignment. I constantly pull to the right in things that don't want to know the Lord. So I need to go in the shop. And what 21 days of prayer and fasting does, it prepares me, it puts me back on the right path, and it says, okay, you're ready to take the journey I have for you for the year. And what God is saying, get back in the spiritual shop, get back on the journey, because some of us are pulling to the left, and God wants us to be aligned with him once again in confession and fasting and prayer. It does that for our lives. It's a powerful thing. And the definition of fasting is abstaining for food for a period of time in order to heighten your awareness and heighten your hunger for God. It says this. You feel that hunger. That's why there's a lot of different things to fast. But biblically, the strongest fast and the biblical fast is, is food. Now some of us can't fast food, so we we'll, can do alternative things. But the strongest thing is the food. Because this is why it's so biblical, why it's so powerful. Because every time you're hunger and your stomach hurts, it reminds you you got to eat. But at that moment, say, you know what, Lord? I'm hungry, but I'm more hungry for you. I know it's time to pray. Lord, Lord I, my, right now I want a cheeseburger, but Lord, I want you more than I want a cheeseburger. I desire you. That's why fasting is so important. Number six, prayer is about God's glory at the ultimate end. King, the glorification is what this prayer is. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is where you say, Lord, my life and everything I own and everything inside of me is for you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us there's three things as he gives the Sermon on the Mount that release God's power in our lives. He says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. If you want God to move in your life, you've got to commit to praying, to fasting, and giving of yourself, giving of your finances, giving because that will release God's favor in your life. That will release God's moving in your life. So this year, like 2020, that's what I want you to I want you to challenge you to pray like you've never prayed before. To commit yourself to fasting like you've never fasted before. To give like you've never given before of your treasure and your time. If you want God to move, Jesus said, here it is. Because here's the thing. I believe 2020 is going to be the greatest decade that many of us have ever seen. That we're going to walk in the plan and the purpose of God. That God's going to release his promise for our life. Because there's a couple things I've been praying about 2020. And this is what I feel the Lord say. He said, Lord, pray the promise and the blessing. God's giving many of you guys promises. 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 And that promise is only going to be released through prayer, through fasting, through giving. So that's what I've been praying. Pray for the promise of God on your life. Pray for harvest. That God will bring in lost people. That's what it's all about. Lost people come to know Jesus. It's not just so we can know God, so we can make him known. And the third thing that the Lord's been telling me during this fast is this. He's going to teach us on a whole other level. Preach a message in a couple weeks on trust. You can't have a relationship with God unless you trust him. You got to trust him in every area. I mean, trust him. That's why I, over and over, over this last couple weeks, I feel like the Lord, even this week, he said, Benito, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Well, then do that. Then do it. Every, every form of disobedience in our lives is because we don't trust him, right? He's a good father. So I want you to pray those things. Pray that you learn to trust God. Pray for the promise over your life. And the blessings that come with that. Pray for a harvest. The lost, lost people will come to know Jesus. So let me get real practically, practical with you. I want to give you five things for successful fast first thing you want you to do if you're going to have a successful fast 
set your objective. Answer the question this, why am I doing this fast? Why am I doing it? Just because the pastor told me? Right, let me I'm going to tell you five reasons why I'm fasting. First reason, I'm acknowledging my need and my dependence on God. I want to confess. I want to repent. I, I want to get my life right. Every year, I don't know about you, like I told you, I need to get in the shop every year. And I say, God, I need you. Second thing I fast for is I fast for my family. They know Jesus, that they follow him. I fast for them spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, physical blessings over them. Third thing is I pray for God's favor over this church and over the church as a whole, over the missionaries and for his church to arise. Because God's plan A is the whole, is church. It's the hope of the world, the church. I pray for the church. I pray for our church. That we would plant other churches. That we would start a freedom center. That we would walk in the plan of God and the purpose of God. That we would disciple people. That we would be able to take advantage of the opportunities of God. That our church would walk in the plan of God. I pray for specific needs. Personal needs that I have. Some needs that you've told me for our church. Just pray for specific needs. The fifth thing I'm praying for is I'm praying for, for our country, especially in 2020. It's an election year. There's a lot of division, a lot of strife. Politics is causing a whole lot of challenges. I pray for this, that the church would begin to put their eyes on one king. It's Jesus. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Our faith, our trust, our hope. Hey, before we're Americans, we're Christians. Our allegiance is to Jesus. And then in the middle of what's probably going to be a very divisive year in 2020, especially living in Austin with all these different political views, that we won't get caught up in all that. We would put our faith in Jesus. We would trust in Jesus and God would lead us and he'd guide us and that we would trust him in every way. That's what I'm praying for. I'm just letting you just say, set your objective. Man, this is what Jennifer and I did last, last year before the fast. We got together. We set down all these things we prayed for. And we're going to go over it again tonight and we're going to set another thing again. So with your wife or by yourself, set the objective. Second thing for fast is make your commitment. Decide what you will fast. How long your fast is. If you've never fasted before, don't go the full 21 days. Maybe, look, I'm going to give you breakfast or I'm going to give you lunch or I'm going to do something like just don't try to go 21 days, no food. You'll be dying after three days. You know, just like, what, what do you want? This is a corporate fast. So this is what I'm asking the church. I'm asking the church to commit to 21 days of some kind of fasting and prayer. It's between you and the Lord. I'm going to tell you, I'm personally starting the first off just liquids. I'm going liquids just the first week. And then afterwards, I'm going to transition the second two weeks to a Daniel fast which consists of vegetables. Basically, here's the fast. If it's good for you, you can eat it. If it tastes good, you can't eat it. So that's a, But it's a good thing for God's to break the addiction of fried foods and candy and sugar off your life and start us that, man, that food isn't a master because you can tell sometimes food can be my master. Look at my belly. Number three, prepare yourself physically. You might feel lightheaded and tired and foggy. You may have bad breath when you start this fast, especially a couple days. Turn to somebody and say, you know, you always have bad breath. That's not new to you. I wish I could tell you that you always feel super spiritual, but that'd be a lie. Sometimes you're cranky, you're moody, you're angry, you're in a fog. Get ready. That's what's going to happen. Then number four, prepare yourself spiritually. Pray. Read the Bible. Listen to worship on Spotify. Do the 10-10-10 challenge. Listen to podcasts. Here's what I would say. Limit TV. Limit social media. Limit all that time and use that time to spend it with God. If you, don't, if you fast and you don't pray, you aren't fasting, you're dieting. Let me tell you another thing spiritually. When you begin to fast, things are going to get worse before they get better. Seriously. There's spiritual warfare. And I remember after every fast, like everything I'm fasting about, it's 
not going good. It's going worse. But that's all right because you know what we're doing? And there's like a hornet's nest. Have you ever seen a hornet's nest? Have I ever see a hornet's nest? You know what I like to do? Some of you guys seen the video. I like to get a, just go hit the hornet's nest because they're mean. They'll bite you. So what I'll do is what you're doing. There's a hornet's nest. There is a stronghold that's being built up in some places. And with prayer, you are getting a stick and you are hitting that hornet's nest. And it don't like it. And all these hornets are going to come at you. And all hell's going to break loose. And it's going to be wild. But just stand firm because there's a shield around you. No, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Stand there and watch God move and just realize it's going to be a lot of noise. But God's going to walk you through that because you are engaging spiritual battle. So prepare for yourself. It is going to be a spiritual battle. You are awakening a hornet's nest but guess what happened at the end of the day there won't be a nest there anymore you're taking down strongholds when you fast and you pray and number five expect god to move in your life you'll be stunned how strongly god will speak to you as you fast expect him to be real to you expect his blessings to come when everybody bow your head and close your eyes this morning lord i pray lord that you would use the words this morning, Lord, through your feeble servant to encourage your people to fast, to seek you, to know you. Lord, that we would become people of prayer that will walk with you in your word, in your plan, in your purpose. Even right now, Lord, would you begin to stir a hunger in your people for you. You hear this morning, you say, Pastor B, I commit to fasting. Lord, speak to them about the time. Speak to them, Lord God, about what you're calling them to do. And Lord, provide a breakthrough. See, for the next 21 days, I'm with you, Pastor B. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast. Lord, I pray over every one of your servants, your sons and your daughters. This is what I pray, Lord. I pray they would know you as their daddy. I know some of them don't, don't see you as a loving dad, Lord. Would you, Lord, this is what I pray. Would you meet their needs this week, Lord, this fast? Would they feel your presence? Would you show yourself to them? God, your, your word says that if they would come close to you, you'd come close to them. And, Lord, as they come close to you, Lord, show yourself to your people here at Freedom Church. Lord God, may your blessings flow in their lives. I pray over the promise that you've spoken over their lives. I pray that they learn to trust you and that you'd use us to bring many people to know the name of Christ. Man, Freedom Church tonight, we're meeting here at 6 o'clock. The worship team is going to be ready. I'm going to share a short devotional. We're going to come and we're going to have people pray. We're going to pray over sick people. We're going to believe people be healed. We're going to believe God to do some amazing things. And we're starting the fast with a night of worship. Hopefully you can make it tonight. Have faith. Let's believe God. And God is going to do amazing things. We love you and we'll see you next week. 2020 is going to be the best year and decade we've ever seen. We've only seen one decade, so it's going to be better than the first. So God bless you. I mean the church, not me. I've seen four. God bless you.